you know, for me, when I think about feminism, I think it's really about celebrating the strengths that we have as women and the differences that we have as women. Like it's not about being the same as men. It's actually about um, being of value of our of our, in our own right, not because we can do things like men, not because we can work as, as long hours as men, not because we can be, you know, stoic or, or um, you know, lacking emotion or whatever it might be that, that m- might be kind of seen in a patriarchal world as ideal. <clears throat> um, and so it's really about owning our own strengths, right? And I think that matricentric feminism is about seeing mothers as really important, really, you know, valuable people uh, within our culture. Hello and welcome to the Feminist Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Sparr. I'm a licensed therapist, feminist, and mother of two. Join me and my guests each week as we chat about what it's like mothering in today's society. We'll point out the double standards mothers face and unpack the conflicting societal messages we receive. We'll name out loud how the patriarchy and other systems of oppression impact our experiences of motherhood. This podcast is for you if you appreciate honest and smart conversations that will validate your experiences, promote discussion, and empower you to mother on your own terms. Hello, welcome back to the Feminist Mom Podcast. Thank you so much for coming and listening each week. I really appreciate it. Um, today I'm super thrilled to be sharing this episode that I recorded, uh, this conversation I recorded with Yara Heary. Yara is a psychologist from Perth, Australia, who works exclusively with women throughout conception, pregnancy, and motherhood. Yara started Life After Birth Psychology following the birth of her first son, which started her on yet another journey of self-rediscovery. Her experiences throughout early motherhood drew her to support other women as they navigate their own family of origin dynamics, the social programming of the good mother, relationship changes, identity shifts, and role changes to find their place of balance and authenticity as mothers. She is also the host of Life After Birth with Yara, podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of women as they navigate life as mothers. I came across Yara through social media, like so many other folks that I um, invite onto the podcast, and I was instantly really drawn to Yara and her perspectives. Um, I felt like we were seeing very similar things and viewing motherhood in a similar way, despite being on different parts of the world, Um, she in Australia, me in uh, the U.S., and she and I have connected and collaborated for some time. And I thought it would be really great to uh, invite her on to talk about matricentric feminism. So this is a lens that she and I both share and both use in really looking at the experience of mothers. Um, so just a very brief like description of it, um, though we'll get into it a little bit more in the episode. Um, but it's a um, a mother-centered mode of feminism that was coined by Andrea O'Reilly. And she talks about how motherhood is sort of the unfinished business of feminism. Despite several decades of feminism, 
previous waves um, have made some progress, of course, for women in general, but mothers still remain um, sort of behind and and don't quite fit in um, some of the the fights that sort of previous waves of feminism have advocated for. Um, and so the idea with this sort of lens is not to replace other forms of um, feminism, but sort of a, an addition to um, thinking about how we always want our feminism to be intersectional, right? We want to be able to acknowledge multiple um, identities and positions of oppression. Um, motherhood is, is to be included in that. Um, and this makes sense. You know, a lot of the folks who I invite onto the podcast, that's sort of um, a common experience that many of us have, even whether we were feminists, feminist identifying before or not. Um, often there is a sense of real um, invisibility, a sense that you're isolated, that you're not supported, that you're not given the tools or the truth, that you're. Um, you know, you have access to less uh, freedom, um, autonomy, things like that. Um, and so this has been something that's still quite recent and new for me and something that I'm continuing to learn about. But I think it's a really important tool. So you can follow up by looking up um, Andrea O'Reilly's work. Um, and uh, Yara and I also talk in this episode, um, I think a lot about her sort of experience of becoming a mother and particularly how she and her partner, her husband have um, gone through all of the changes uh, that often really shake up our relationships and kind of how she um, and her husband have really worked together on that um, as well as some of her other observations bringing in her clinical work. So um, this is a really special episode. I really um, love talking to Yara, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, welcome. I'm here with Yara Heary. Yara, thank you so Hi. much for being here. <laughs> thank you. It's just um, so lovely to have a chat with you. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Yara, I feel like you and I we've been able to be friends and connect, um, over social media. And I feel like when I saw your profile, it was like instant connection. I felt like mm. you and I were talking about some similar things. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about just like your work and also, um, your kind of where you are in your, in your motherhood journey yeah. right now? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my work, my work is I'm a psychologist in Perth in Western Australia and I work exclusively um, because that's just my my preference at this point, exclusively with mums um, all along their kind of parenting journey and throughout pregnancy as well um, and conception also. Uh, and my work really focuses around, well, it has a real feminist slant and a very matricentric feminist slant and I feel like I need to say that because that feels different for me um, and I work a lot with mothers to I guess unpack some of the cultural pressures and and factors that impact their experience of motherhood 
And also I'm really interested in family of origin. So how, how does our family of origin actually play a role on how we experience mothering and how we relate to our families and our children? So that's what I'm really into. I love my work. I absolutely love it. And it's an interesting thing to be doing because at the same time I am kind of engaged in those same processes as well. So in my personal life I have um you know, my husband and I have my two children, our two children. Um, so I have one who's seven and one who's actually just turned five yesterday. And yeah, I feel like those things that I'm supporting women through in their mothering is kind of like a constant, um, you know, piece of work that I'm working on myself as well. So untangling myself from patriarchy and from the kind of ideals that come from that in terms of what it means for me to be a mother and what it means for me to be a woman as well. Um, and also trying to navigate, because my kids are older now, also trying to teach them about that as often as I can as well, which is, <laughs> so there's just like, I feel like I'm so deep in the work myself at, alongside supporting the, you know, the women that I work with in doing that work themselves as well. Um, And, you know, my experiences, I guess, that kind of led me into this space was, um, you know, so I finished sort of my my studies, my master's for psychology, and I worked in a variety of different settings in public settings, as well as private practice. Um, And then at some point, I got pregnant and had my son and kind of thought uh, the stuff that I had heard, which you know, admittedly wasn't a lot, but the stuff that I'd heard about what happens to people when they have babies and the changes that they experience, I was naively kind of like, I'm different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These things, you know, aren't going to happen to me. These changes in um, in relationships that people talk about aren't going to happen to us, like we're different. Um, and I really have this very clear memory of my husband coming home and telling me about things that um, other men who were married or or not and had children would tell him about the changes that they experienced in their relationship and they were always really negative and I was like no that's not going to happen to us you know um you know thinking that we had something we do have something unique but thinking we had something yeah. really different right mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then I had my baby and realized that that actually was <laughs> wasn't true the truth was is that we went through exactly the same things that those people had spoken about you know um and it was really sobering for me like really sobering um and it also was the beginning of my of of my true understanding of what what feminism really was about that was the Mm -hmm. other thing like I know that that's absolutely when that started for me um and I would say that that with that came a lot of rage so I've I've been (laughs) I've had to deal with a lot of my own rage that shows up Mm -hmm. in my parenting but I know that that's not what it's about like I know that it's and that's the thing with with anger and rage right like we need to know where it's coming from what it's truly about and then what the action is that we take with that so that it doesn't become kind of toxic and and sort of infiltrate you know other areas of life where it's not actually useful um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of been a big thing and the anger that I had as well wasn't necessarily just about relationship changes we definitely went through those um we have had to do a lot of work and it's ongoing work so we are absolutely by no means <laughs> a, an ideal couple in this way yeah. um but it's an ongoing process that we're in but it's also just 
being a mother and actually seeing how much more limited my life became after I became a mother um, and, you know, feeling that before that happened, I felt I felt very at ease in my environment. I felt mm. very at ease with navigating um, spaces. Uh, and it doesn't mean like, you know, I'm a black woman, so it doesn't mean that I didn't experience what you know the the impact of that in my environments Mm -hmm. I absolutely did Mm -hmm. but I felt that I knew how to navigate that I knew how to work that so that I could get um, most of the time so I could get kind of what I needed right or what I wanted and that really changed in a whole different way (laughs) when I became a mother Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of that's been one part of my experience I guess in in being a mother and and then the other part is also the work that I do with my clients around family of origin and really, really getting deep mm. for myself in that and really exploring what that means for me. Um, and yeah, trying to do the work of, of having, I guess, a different or setting up a different legacy, you know, going forward for mm. my family and across both of those things. So across that kind of cultural thing and also, you know, in terms of family of origin and, and those relationships. Yeah. Big mm. work. <laughs> I very much relate to a lot of what you described in kind of the going from being married and thinking, oh, wow, we had something good. We're strong. We're solid. Mm -hmm. We got this. And then Mm -hmm. sort of what you said, it was very sobering, right, to Mm -hmm. (laughs) see that, you know, despite um, all of the the strengths that you Mm -hmm. have, you still mm. can get really hit with all of the challenges um, that yeah. come. Yeah. And so I, similar to you, that sort of, you know, feminist perspective mm-hmm. developed. I don't know if I if I thought of it then, but I mm-hmm. gradually have sort of yeah. named it. Um, can you say more about metrocentric feminism? Because I think that's actually mm. really important to me too that we talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you had mentioned that. Mm. I think that um, so metrocentric feminism, the way that I understand it, is really around ensuring that the that mothers and the act of mothering is highly valued, so that we we really place. A lot of value on on that work and on that labor involved with that, um, and I think that you know from that perspective, I sort of see maybe sort of um, older kind of waves of feminism as being quite mm, how do I describe it? Like that mothers were kind of erased from from those yeah. kind of from the older waves of of um, feminism mm-hmm. because there was such a focus at that time of gaining equality through um, trying to show that there was so much similarity between men and women. Um, And, you know, for me, when I think about feminism, I think it's really about celebrating the strengths that we have as women and the differences that we have as women. Like it's not about being Mm -hmm. the same as men. It's actually about um, being of value of our, mm-hmm. of our, in our own right, not because we can do things like men, not because we can work as, as long hours as men, not because we can be, you know, stoic or, or um, you know, lacking emotion or whatever it might be right. that, that m- might be kind of seen in a patriarchal world as ideal. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And so it's really about owning 
our own strengths, right? And I think that matricentric feminism is about seeing mothers as really important, really, you know, valuable people uh, within our Mm -hmm. culture. And I think also, like, I remember I made a post about this on on social media and I remember there was um, one woman in particular, someone in particular, and I think a few others kind of chimed in after that sort of talked about that this perspective sounded bioessentialist, which I want to speak to because Mm. it isn't at all. It's not about devaluing other women or about devaluing men in in any way. It's actually just about seeing um, at the end of the day, if if we do not have um, people birthing, (laughs) we don't have a community. We don't have a, we don't have Mm. um, population, right? We don't have cultures. We don't have all of that thing. And so you can't take away the fact that that is important. And I think that something that has happened with feminism is it is really important for women to have the choice about whether they want to be mothers mm-hmm. or not. And being a mother mm-hmm. is not, um, you know, the path to true enlightenment or anything like that, right? Like right. there are so many valuable ways to impact the world. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I think matricentric feminism is more about calling back mothers into the, that place of power um, because mm. I think that they kind of were forgotten in a lot of the feminist movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the way that, that I see that. And I don't think, again, coming back to bioessentialism, it's not like mothers are the most important people in the whole world and, you know, their duty is to do women, it's their duty to have babies and all that sort of stuff. Like that's not what I'm into, which is what I view bioessentialism as being. And that's a very patriarchal thing. So it doesn't make sense at all that it would go in, you know, hand in hand <laughs> with feminism. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of the way that I see it. And I also think that within that it's not matricentric feminism is also um you know acknowledging that that women have choice as well so it doesn't mean you know that um that that women have to do this job and it's also I think valuing and acknowledging the care work that happens um across women anyway whether or not they are biological mothers as well because Mm. there is that care work that happens in lots of different ways you know and in lots of different um career settings as well so I think that that's also really important within that framework too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You explained that so so well. I think um, Andrea O'Reilly um, is where I've learned about metrocentric yes. feminism yeah. and she sort of talks about how sort of, yeah, like mothers have sort of been left out. It's sort of the unfinished mm-hmm. business of, of feminism, yeah. I think she says. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because like prior to becoming a mother, you know, in a lot of ways, we can avoid feeling oppressed by the patriarchy, even if we are. Mm-hmm. We can feel like, well, I can get a, I can get a job now, or I can vote yeah. now. Of course, you know, where I am in America, we've lost, you know, some rights regarding reproductive rights. But so, mm-hmm. but several years ago, it, it felt like you know, women could do mm-hmm. things that men could do, right? And so, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, we can kind of feel like. You know, I, I, it's not that bad. <laughs> and, mm. and and then when you become a mother, you sort of become aware yeah. of the patriarchy. What was that like for you? Mm. What did you notice? What changed for you? So I think before having children, I felt that I had a lot more freedom on mm-hmm. my time. Um, and then once I had children, it was like there was this expectation that that role was mine. Um, you know, in terms of, and I actually remember 
one day just crying um, at home by myself. I was listening to this episode of this, these two beautiful women here in Australia and they were talking about the kind of um, loving it all, like, a, you know, weird mothering, like when do we ever love it all? Like when does anyone get to that point? They were having that conversation. I was listening to it just absolutely bawling my eyes out and my husband came home like randomly he came home at lunch or something and sort of saw me like that and I sort of then explained to him about my feelings and all this sort of stuff and and I remember he said to me, but you're just so good at it. <laughs> and I just was, I just looked at him and I was like, what are you fucking mean? You know, I just like, I just got so angry, you know, and and he thought he was giving me a compliment mm-hmm. and he actually believes that. I'm, I'm sure that he believes that. I think that now seven years on from that time, because this was very early on when I had a baby, Mm -hmm. he understands now about the skill that is required and how that is developed over time and he gets that and, and, you know, he understands that. But I remember back then thinking like, what do you mean? I I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I don't know what that cry means. I don't know what this cry means. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just here. I'm just here. That's actually what the reality is. And I remember, and I sort of explained that to him and tried to be level-headed about it, but don't know how level-headed I was. Um, And that's the kind of thing. That's what really smacked me in the face. I had always sort of seen my husband as very allied to that, to sort of a a feminist perspective, like in terms (laughs) of very supportive. He was always a, a, a big supporter and still is and still was at that time. But it was in those, in those especially early years after having children, that I became aware of how much patriarchy was actually ingrained in his thinking and mine. Um, Mm -hmm. And this would show up in like when I wouldn't take time for myself, you know, like and back then it was just so automatic I wasn't thinking about it. Now I'm Mm -hmm. able to say, why do I feel so, why am I feeling that feeling in my stomach? Why am I feeling so uncomfortable right now about the idea of, you know, um, so-and-so having you know, my child or, you know, maybe I happen to have had a few days where I haven't seen them um, and I have an opportunity to take one more where I actually get to take time for myself and I'm I'm running all these questions through my head about like is this the right thing to do, do like thinking mm-hmm. all this stuff and then I'm like, you know, my, my husband doesn't do that. Like yeah. he just takes that, that opportunity. So then like, mm-hmm. you know, exploring that and saying, well, where is that from? Okay, why do I feel guilty? Um you know, what do I think is going to happen if it's if I'm not the one that's there? Like, why is my husband not feeling that same way? Like, so really exploring all of that and realizing how entangled actually all of us are. And you know, I've been doing this work of of noticing those things now for quite a few years, and I'm always surprised at how yeah. often they continue to come up, even though you know, like the work isn't done. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. sort of in that soup for so many years of you know the patriarchy and of like. Um, you know, the way that we as women are sort of conditioned in this system, which is around compliance and um, mm-hmm. and caretaking and not rocking the boat and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I notice it even now like when I'm sending an email and I'm like, I'm so sorry for, and then I'm like, hang on a second, thank you for your patience. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. So it's just like all of those sorts of things have now become so much more obvious to me. But I would say that I think the the relationship change, like the dynamic change and the automatic roles that I felt that we were put into as well um, mm-hmm. 
and I think also, and I think also over in the States, you guys have this maybe to a more extreme extent is that, you know, over here I had a, quite a long maternity leave. And while that's really great, it mm. also set me up in a way that mm-hmm. meant that, well, I was the only, you know, my husband had maybe four weeks that okay. he took that was not paid either because they don't have paternity leave in his workplace. So mm. he took that. And it wasn't four weeks in total. It was like a week here, a week there, like, you know, so it was sort of like that. But it was, you know, and he was he was very hands-on with our first baby in particular because we had feeding issues and things like that. But it still meant that I was the one who had to figure so much out by myself for mm-hmm. that whole first year that I was home. Um, and then all of a sudden you end up in in roles and in patterns of being and patterns of taking up taking more load and one person not taking up load and it just all of a sudden you kind of go like what is going on here like how did I agree to all of this like how did this happen you know and so I think that's really challenging too the maternity leave thing is is tricky um I was actually because this is the sort of stuff I do for fun I was on the ABS which is the Australian Bureau for Statistics website yesterday (laughs) (laughs) and a late reading Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, I was just really interested to look at some of the um, the figures over time around participation in the workplace for um, mothers and fathers specifically. And what I read, and maybe some people already know this, but, but it made sense, it, it helps me make sense of my situation and, and what I'm seeing with other women as well, which is that, um, and this goes back to this conversation about feminism and what sort of the older waves of feminism were able to achieve, which is fantastic, but also the problems that that created as well. And mm-hmm. so what I saw in the stats was that um, that the participation of mothers in the workplace has increased hugely, right, over mm-hmm. the last decade, but there's been no change to the participation in the workplace for fathers. So what that means mm-hmm. is that women are doing more mm-hmm. and going back to work, which is like for them fulfilling and all of those sorts of things. And for some women, it's just an actual need from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. But there's their partners are not doing less in the workplace in order to take some yeah. of the load of what's going on at home. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that's really problematic because, you know, what's happened is that the feminist movement has been amazing in making changes for women. I wouldn't say that workplace conditions are ideal for mothers returning though Mm -hmm. but we have mothers returning but nobody made a fuss about well you guys need to work less so that so that someone Mm -hmm. is still like carrying some of this load it's like no now you've Mm -hmm. just got this other thing to do now as well um and so that's also an issue that in my personal relationship we've had to navigate as well because that you know I was just like well that can't happen you know and Mm -hmm. now that I'm working more than I ever have since becoming a mother we see that because we eat takeout more with the Mm. kids or um or there are nights when like my husband comes home and I finish at 5 30 and it's like there's literally nothing organized (laughs) because I'm like well, I'm, why, why am I the one that has to be doing all of that, you know? And so we mm-hmm. just, you know, throw something together at the last minute together because I'm, because for me, like, that's a decision that I've made, which is like, I cannot do that. I cannot be the one who is preparing in my mind and thinking about the recipes, making sure we have the mm-hmm. ingredients, like all of that sort of stuff. And so sometimes like, yeah, school lunches, like he's going to the bakery down the road first thing in the morning to pick up milk and that because we don't have it like (laughs) because because I've made that choice and it does mean it's a bit kind of chaotic sometimes but 
he needs to feel that too, right? Otherwise, we don't get change. We don't get, um, you know, and I really have faith that, um, I mean, I've seen so much change anyway, but over time that will continue, right? And we will get better at that. And it's also just, you know, um, our life changes so frequently in terms of my workflow and his workflow and he travels sometimes as well. And so it's just, it's all a bit all over the place. I mean, I, I hear you. It's like, it's so funny how you're like on the other side of the world. Mm. I Like it really strikes me. And yet like you're saying the same story in, in mm. pretty much that that I hear from countless moms and that mm. I recognize in myself. It's like, you know, interesting because sometimes we can think is this cultural and, and I mean, it is, mm. but mm. It, it's, it feels like it's uh, inescapable. Mm. Um, but, and so I hear like how you navigate that because that's what mm. people ask. Like, what, how do I fix it? How do I, mm. you know, some of that is, is letting, letting things go, letting yeah. our partners, you know, try to pick up the slack mm-hmm. or mess up or fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear having lots of conversations <laughs> about, yeah. you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, what really struck me was definitely like the mental load mm-hmm. that we talk about that that's so much, there's so much internal responsibility that yeah. even when it looks like both partners are doing and not mm-hmm. everyone has that, not everyone has yeah. both partners doing things, but even when mm-hmm. it looks like you're both kind of handling domestic work, yeah. it, we're so programmed mm-hmm. to, I think as mothers, to hold it all. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. the emotional labor too, right? And so, like, you're mm-hmm. you're a therapist too. You're a mm-hmm. mom, you know. I, that's something that I'm. I think a lot about. I don't hear folks talking as much about actual emotional skills, mm-hmm. right? That we need in parenting. It's so much emotional <laughs> regulation. Yeah. I know it's you huge. talk a lot about right, like <laughs> nervous system, mom yeah. rage, like yeah. all of this is like such emotional work, mm-hmm. and that is where I personally I, I feel the most resentment sometimes. Is like mm-hmm. I'm good at it, I know how to do it, or I work, yeah. I try hard, and yet it's so draining and. Yeah. Yeah. So many men are so underprepared, right? Absolutely. So not only are they underprepared to do the domestic work, they've mm. never been expected to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. do less at work, like in the workplace and do more mm-hmm. home, as you say, but also emotionally. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a lot. And I think like as you're saying that I'm reflecting on what that's like for us. And I'd say, you know, my husband actually is he's really good on the emotional stuff with my okay. kids and he's actually always been very interested in um, the books and stuff. So he's read like Gottman's work and he's read emotion coaching stuff. He's really into that. The emotional labour that and and like that, that does not mean that it's not a lot though, like it still is even with that, right, because at the end of the day, like I'm the one that's around the most so I'm still carrying I'm doing more of the emotional labor with our children because I just happen to be around them more frequently. But what I find difficult is the emotional labor involved in communicating the change that I want in our relationship. So Mm. navigating my husband's emotions in order to be heard. Like that's actually what I I find. Mm -hmm. I find that difficult and that's where I get resentment because I'm just like, I get frustrated at needing to be so careful, right? Like rather than just being able to directly say, these are the things that are driving me mad. Mm-hmm. This is how you, you know, or like I don't even want to have to tell them how to do it. I just want, I just like, 
you problem solve every single day at work. <laughs> that is what your job is. Do it at home, right? Like that's that kind of thing. So for me, it's the it's the emotional labor of if I notice a problem mm-hmm. in our life or in our day to day or whatever, and then thinking about okay, now I need to communicate that. How do I communicate that in this particular way? And then regulating myself throughout that communication. Mm. Um, you know, so I find that difficult, especially it's those, are, that's for in, in the cases where, um, you know, it's a thing that is like a role issue where I'm like, this just doesn't seem fair and I want it to change. Like I can see that it's like, um, you know, it's grounded maybe in in patriarchal kind of norms, you know what I mean? And I'm like, this is not really what I signed up for and mm. I'd like to check out. <laughs> so communicating that to my husband can be difficult because one of the things that um, that I'm sure many people have have come up against, whether that's talking to, you know, men in various parts of their lives or maybe their partners, is that there there is a sensitivity um, w- when it comes to talking about, patriarchy with our partners mm. and with men oh, right yeah. because they have a an understandable inclination mm-hmm. to feel judged and to feel criticized and yeah. to feel really threatened by that and so that's what i mean like navigating that part of it feels intense for me especially because from the body of knowledge that i have and my own lived experience you know having done that for so long in my life because that's what mm. i've been conditioned to do i don't want to do that anymore <laughs> You know, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to let go of that. That's part of the patriarchy stuff. I'm, you know, that I'm trying to leave behind. But, but then I'm still needing to do it because I have this value on my relationship and I have a value on that person. Um, and so finding a, a place of balance where it's like, okay, I'm. This is how much I'm willing to do that, um, and that it feels good. But then also, this is how much you need to do of your own work. Like you, you need to bridge some of that gap as well. Um, and that's been some that's been a process that has been evolving. So I would say when I first started having these conversations about kind of patriarchy or feminism and how that influences our relationship and and how we both show up as parents, um, that those were really heated conversations originally. Mm-hmm. Like I would mm-hmm. go in there like you know with all guns blazing. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of how I used to go mm-hmm. in, and he would of course respond you know, with lots of defense to that. Defensively. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that's been a bit of a skill for me in learning how to navigate that. Cause I, myself naturally, I'm kind of a very direct person anyway. So that's mm-hmm. been a bit of a process to learn how to navigate that in a more gentle way, but also in a way that doesn't feel like I'm compromising on my mm-hmm. own values in terms of, you know, for example, the advice I often say to people is like, you know, people are responsible for their own emotions. So then I'm wanting to live in alignment with that um, for myself while also wanting to, um, to, to, to nourish the relationship, like not, not get too heated, not get too aggressive about it, that it actually breaks down the relationship as well. So that's a pretty fine balance to find that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, mm. that is – that's so much effort and mm. I recognize it. And I think, yeah, relationships, the way we say things matters. Um, mm. Do you think that, I mean, I don't know how personal you want to get, but do you think mm. he feels the same responsibility to say those things to you with so much care? Yeah, yeah. And I think, 
<laughs> it's interesting because this is the thing. Like I, like I said, I tend to be someone that can be very direct anyway, and yeah. that's been like an ongoing, um, you know, piece of insight that I have about myself yeah. for a long time anyway. And so there's that element of it. But yeah, I do, I do think so. I think that over, I mean, he and I've, you know, we've been through relationship therapy, we've been in groups, we've been in all sorts of stuff, and he's very committed to his own growth journey as well. Um, mm. And I think. If if he didn't have all of that going on, then it would be a very different situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if I was if I was partnered with someone that that didn't have that level of investment, then that mm-hmm. would be a very different thing. But I can see that the investment is there, and that he makes the effort, um, and that he makes that effort in communicating with me as well. Um, so yeah, it's a two way thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's all these conversations happening now. I think about mm-hmm. relationships and kind of what women are expecting and the mm-hmm. rise in divorce, which yeah. has been right led by women. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think what I'm hearing and, and what you're kind of describing is that kind of the best case scenario is that both people care and are mm. trying. Mm. And yeah. I think a lot of folks are in situations where their partner doesn't care or try. Mm. And that, Absolutely. I think, right, that kind of makes or breaks often totally. the, the relationship. And that seems to be the difference. It doesn't mm. mean that it's easy or that you get to a place where, mm. right, everything, you, you're on the same page, you got it. Like, yeah. right, it's, it's so hard. I mean, I'm, we're 11 years into parenting and it's still a process. So yeah. I think one, we want to have like, you know, realistic expectations of what a long-term relationship takes, mm. which I think folks mm-hmm. don't often get to see, yeah. you know, like in people's relationships as as therapists, we get to hear, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot more of the the details, you know, and so we can say that actually a lot of relationships are messy and mm. complicated. And yeah, so they, like they take, they do actually take work. And I think, I mean, that's been something that's been a learning thing for me. I didn't have any um, modeling around that for myself mm. growing up. And so that's been a real, I feel like my ideas of relationships, like long before even the, you know, my, my husband was very much based on what I saw on film um, mm. and what I saw, you know, in books and things mm. like that or read yeah. rather in books. And it was like this idea that it's just, you know, it's that beautiful fairy tale thing. And then when you find your person, it just works forever. Right. <laughs> that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, I think mm. that I can, I can identify that that is my thinking of relationships as kind of like a late teen, early adulthood um, kind of um, stage. Whereas now it's just so different. It's like, no, actually relationships take a lot of work and they're often about compromise and negotiation um, you know, I have a very different view about that. Um, so it's interesting. And, you know, your point there about divorce, I think one of the things that I'm seeing in the clients that I work with is lots of conversations, not necessarily u- using the word divorce, but very dissatisfied women in their mm-hmm. relationships. And I think based on what I'm hearing is that when separation or divorce does happen, it's happening for very different reasons to what they may have happened historically. Like so maybe Mm. historically it was, um, you know, um, infidelity or um, maybe there was abuse or, you know, things like that. Like really those big massive things, I feel like the the reasons that women are choosing to divorce now is at least in this sort of um, women, women who are maybe mothers is like it's a lot more around like 
just feeling unseen, you know, like in t- because mm. of, you know, they're carrying so much load and their partners refuse to pick up, you know, like I feel like it's a bit of a different mm-hmm. sort of story now. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm seeing in therapy is people who are, you know, women who are questioning if that's a good enough reason to be in a relationship mm. or to leave, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeing with the clients that I work mm-hmm. with and it's really and it's a t- it's really hard, right, to get to the point of decision making around that because it because there is so many things that are weighing on that decision, right? But I think a lot of people are going like, I just don't, I don't know if this is ever going to change. I don't know if if my partner is ever going to come on board with this way of thinking where we are equal partners in this relationship and in our parenting. And I think many women are saying, okay, he's not willing to do that, do that, and I am no willing not no not willing to sacrifice myself so that means that this is not sustainable Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah right our expectations are changing Mm. and I see folks saying I want to get some time back so if they can't get if they can't get a partner to to be a partner to do Mm -hmm. that work they're starting to look at the math and say actually Mm. if I get divorced or separate uh, then my partner will be mm-hmm. mandated to yeah. do do some childcare, and mm. I'll get a weekend back every once in a while. Maybe that'll actually be easier. And we're we're mm-hmm. seeing that it's yeah. it, it can be easier in in those situations. So mm. it, it's interesting. I mean, divorce has been such like a like a bad taboo mm. thing and a bad word. And it's, it's interesting even to kind of bring it up as a therapist. Like mm. we're not almost not supposed to like ask like is divorce something you've thought about you know yeah. um yeah yeah do you know what i mean yeah. it sort of feels mm-hmm. taboo to even say you know that's a that is an option not to say that we're saying you know having you should a, do it a, yeah yeah like yeah. we're not really yeah. encouraging it but just asking the question yeah um, absolutely feels yeah, kind of radical totally. it does it really really does but i think um yeah it, it's interesting cuz actually um you know even I haven't finished this conversation with my husband. The other day he said that he was reading the paper and there was um, a number of headlines in the paper on this particular day that were about um, domestic violence and in particular about um, the death of some women in domestic violence situations. And he said he was stunned by the figures. He didn't didn't understand Mm. how prolific that actually was, like how how many women were... um, suffering in that situation and I, I was surprised to hear that from him because I mean but then I also work in this space where I'm hearing about that and you know it's kind of my work to know about that um and it just made me aware that you know if he, if that had not been on the paper like he that may not have really mm-hmm. entered his thinking so it's interesting even the different things we pay attention to but I asked him about it and I said well what do you think about that and he said um I think society is letting men down and men in turn are letting society down with their behavior. And I actually thought it was it was really good mm. because I think we didn't get into it cuz it was very late at night and I was like I really want to hear more about that. Like I want to hear more about what do you think society needs to do to support men better so that they don't end up doing things like this, right? So I'm to be continued to have that conversation. Mm. But I really for me it really aligned with what I think too. And I think that this is where feminism is for men too. It's not just for, for women, right? Like we know that um, the way that the patriarchy operates means that there are benefits to people who fit better in that system. So for men, 
But mm-hmm. there's there's also consequences, right? Like we know that suicide rates for men are higher um, than mm-hmm. they are for women, especially at certain times um, th- throughout their lives. We know that um, men really suffer with loneliness and, and things like that in their lives. And it, it all, for me, I see all of that as directly coming from patriarchal ideals mm-hmm. about what it means to be a man, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and for me, when I heard him say that, that's kind of how I took that. I was like, he is seeing it in that perspective. So I'm very interested to, <laughs> to have more of that conversation with him and hear how that, how he navigates that patriarchal influence and how feminism comes into that. But um, yeah, and I, I mean, extending that into this sort of mothering space, I think it exists as well. And you and I sort of touched on this when we spoke with Mike um, on my mm-hmm. podcast yeah. about, you know, that figure that I saw with the ABS where work habits and hours have not changed for fathers, but they've changed for mothers. It's like there needs to be change in terms of um, workplace policy for fathers as well, because mm-hmm. it supports fathers in having better life um, satisfaction and better connection and better mental health, but it also yeah. means that they can provide the support that that their partners need, um, you know, obviously talking about heterosexual relationships, but mm-hmm. also maybe otherwise as well, where they can, so that their partners can also be supported and they can have better mental health. And, you know, for me, I just see that like if mum and dad or mum and mum or dad and dad have whatever, have better mental health, their kids are going to be doing great. Like to me, it's sure. like prevention. <laughs> it's so... Um, I feel like it's so not rocket science, though, right? No. It's it's yeah. like yeah. it feels so obvious. I mean, obviously, we think mm. about this all the time, mm. but yeah, like if we really wanted a healthy society, we would be thinking about the health of parents, mm. for example, who are yeah. you know taking care of the next generation. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm very yeah. Like I said, I'm interested to see where that goes with him. But yeah, it's it's a it's hard and it's really hard as well I think when you have awareness about all of this stuff to not yeah. feel deflated you know yeah. and really defeated as well because you know these are all things that people have been talking about for such a long time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know and then when you when you sort of look at the impact of the feminist movement in terms of in workplace culture right or in workplace policy right you see that they, there was change but it yeah. also has come at a cost as well for women in this sort of mothering kind of time as well, right? Like not just because of obstacles that still exist there for them, but also because their partners don't have that same time, right, to be able to support. Um, so it kind of in some ways it's like, oh, we go forwards, but then, oh, we've kind of gone <laughs> right. not backwards, but we're still in a, in a shitty place. Um, and so it's hard to... Um, to f- sometimes I find that difficult to stay positive about, yeah. you know, like it's like, well, what is the answer? Like how do we really get this change? Yeah, mm. what, is, what is the answer, Yara? I mean, I know one, <laughs> yeah. one of the, with so many answers, right? One of mm. the things I hear from other moms and I, I think I hold on to is sort of mm. parenting the next generation. So yeah, I'm curious totally. for you, kind of mm. what are you intentional about with mm. parenting your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back. I, th- I feel like talking about it, I was all like, 
And you do get like that, right? Sometimes when you talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's so true. Parenting the next generation, it's that legacy that we're leaving. So yeah, I'm obviously really um, passionate about talking about um, social equity across lots of different things. So um, obviously feminism is one of them. I haven't really been talking. My kids are at an age where maybe they could they could do or understand patriarchy in a very simplified way, but I haven't actually really used that term with them or even feminism. We really more just talk about um you know, equity in in our lives and across places. And, and, you know, like so it might show up in terms of things that my son thinks he can do versus what he thinks my daughter can do, you know. And so we have conversations about, well, why? Like what is that? Who cares? Like why, why does that matter? So we have those kinds of conversations um, but also in the space of social dust, justice. So we do talk a lot about like racism in Australia. We talk a lot about um aboriginal australians indigenous australians and um like at the moment we've got the referendum coming up in october for the voice which is Mm. um changing the constitution to enshrine the voice of indigenous people Mm. um so we have lots of conversations about that i mean we the kind of strategies and tools that we use is obviously the conversation we have but also books like I find yeah I find books to be really fantastic for facilitating difficult conversations so whether that's about sibling rivalry or anger um, or whether it's about you know things like racism and feminism and things Mm -hmm. like that so we use a lot of that and we're really fortunate to have a really beautiful school with a fantastic community. Mm. It's a very small school um, and in particular they're very focused on um, Indigenous activism and so there's a lot of conversation around that at school and, um, you know, my kids know about, for example, the stolen generation, so which is where they stole the children from the Aboriginal people, right, for mm. assimilation. So they know about that and we talk about things like that um, and I think that that's, really important to me like it's super Mm -hmm. super important um and we yeah we have big conversations and I think the thing that I hear from other parents that I know and also from people in the community is concerned that those concepts are too big or or scary or Mm -hmm. you know that we're um infringing on the innocence of childhood or something like that and you know it just it's just not true I mean we've been talking about that stuff for years actually Mm -hmm. um you know with our kids and you just have to talk about it in a way that is developmentally appropriate so they can understand the Mm -hmm. language but they kids have a really good sense of fairness fairness (laughs) they know fairness they're paying attention to what's fair yeah yeah absolutely they do and it's such a um so it makes it a really beautiful time actually to have conversations around social equity um and equality Uh, so I think that the earlier that we can get talking about that is great and you know for those people who maybe don't know how to have those conversations that's why you know books and resources like that are so great because they guide you through the whole process of you know how mm-hmm. to have those those conversations so yeah yeah a, mm. one resource to plug is i don't know if you know about this you probably do a kids mm. co ha, is oh is yes a, right mm. they have a ton of books that are, are like really big topics like mm. feminism race white privilege mm-hmm. all of these things and they they do make it really kind of straightforward and yeah. and appropriate for younger mm. younger folks. Yeah, um, so I just which is plug it's that. so good. And I have to admit, like I also live in an area that is pretty left. Like you know, uh-huh. so I'm probably in a bit of an echo chamber. My 
not myself. But, you know, like even, you know, my partner's family, like um, my mother-in-law and I have like two-hour conversations about feminism. And, you know, (laughs) I actually remember one time being out to dinner with her and my husband and um, I think he was stirring us because we were getting really heated about this kind of conversation and he was stirring us and he was like, I don't even think patriarchy is real, like which is not what he thinks. Yeah. But but I just remember his mum just looking at him, just glaring at him, and I was like, why? He just loves to stir. He just loves to stir. And That's I was like, why cute. do you do these things? Why are you this way? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it's beautiful because it's, it's you know, for me it means that I'm, I feel very supported in this um, perspective and in the ideals and in, you know, when I have those moments where I'm like, oh, God, like how are we ever going to, you know, how are we as a culture going to move past these, like, you know, ring her up or yeah. other people in my community and that's, it's so important to have those people that you can speak to. So for anyone that's listening, um, if you don't have people like that in your lives and this is something that is important to you and you want to speak to um, people about it is like look for opportunities and places where people are gathering like this and I think that for me, I have found some really beautiful women in attending women's circles because women's circles are always mm. going to be full of people <laughs> who have a feminist slant. And so that's one beginning place, you know, for attending that. And they're also just so wonderful. They're so beautiful. Mm. Um, but, yeah, get yourself a good community of, um, you know, women empowerment people yeah. <laughs> around you. I yeah. wish everyone could have have that experience. Mm. I think – so many don't. And so mm. part of, I think, having a podcast like this is to sort of be validating of yeah. maybe some people who are having these questions or thoughts or wondering about these things and don't have people in their lives to really talk about this mm. or maybe are, are gaslighting them directly, yeah. you know, telling them the patriarchy, this isn't real. I and mean, there's yeah. so much conversation and backlash right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So steps forward steps back Mm. um thank you well (laughs) i feel like i've taken a lot of your time um i so appreciate you being here can you let us all know yeah where we can find you and kind of Mm. what projects um yeah you have going on definitely um you can find me uh over over on instagram at Life After Birth Psychology, um, which I'm pretty active on. Um, you can also find my website, which is lifeafterbirth.com.au. And um, there's all sorts of things happening all the time. So I have a um, group coaching program that I run throughout the year, which is a, a three-month-long project um, or program rather. Um, it is a project, a project of love <laughs> for me. I adore it. Yeah. Um, so that runs throughout the year. We currently have got a group that's running at the moment. The next one will be probably in February next year. Um, and then I also run workshops, um, you know, throughout the year as well and do one-on-one work. So, yeah, if you want to drop by and say hi over on Instagram, I love that. Be lovely. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Yara, for being here. This has been a real treat. I really appreciate no it. Thanks, Erin. That's the show. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Feminist Mom Podcast. Thank you to my guest, Yara Heary. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave me a review. It really helps me reach more feminist moms out there. You can find me on Instagram at feminist.mom.therapist or on my website, erinspartherapy.com. Until next time.